I don't have enough food. I I can concentrate in my studying and I can understand what my teachers say to me. Thank you so much. Kate is part of the Feed One program that Convoy of Hope does. You can feed a child for a month for $10. And right now we're feeding uh, over a quarter of a million children every day. Our goal for the next four years is to feed a million children every day. Right now we are in the Bahamas, very involved there. Our teams are there. We're flying in and out, all kinds of goods and services to help people there. And so that's just an introduction to what Feed One does. You can get involved. Just go on the website for Convoy of Hope, and you'll see how to get involved in the Feed One program. Thank you, Dr. Tennyson, for that wonderful interview a few moments ago. Um, you know, I went to North Central for a semester. I, uh, first time I ever heard of the name of Jesus in my life was when I was 21 years old. I was a drunken sailor, walked into a little missions AG church, a Simmons God church, and the missionary there was named John Burke. He graduated from North Central University, too. So John Burke, you know, walked in there, and I was hung over from the night before. I was on the Navy boxing team because I like hitting people. And um, I, I don't do that anymore, but I did that then. And my background is like, I, I don't come from anywhere. I don't know anyone. And so the missionary said, man, you look confused. He came up to me, and I said, I am. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know how to get out of here. I don't know why I'm here. But it was near a bar I used to like to go to. It didn't open until noon, and so that's why I went to church that morning. So why do you go to church in the morning? I don't know. You know? So anyway, he led me to Christ, and, and my life radically changed. It was almost like a Damascus Road experience, and uh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit within a few days after that. And then when I got out of the Navy, um, my wife and I, we only thought there was one university or, or Bible college in the nation. And that was the Bible college that the missionary went to that led me to Christ. That was North Central College at that time. And so we moved here. I'd been in the South Pacific in tropical climates. I was the end of the war. We got no more veteran. 
And uh, so we, we moved here after I'd lived in a tropical climate for four years in December. And, and I didn't, I, I had forgotten the, the meaning of cold. You know, I grew up in Michigan, but I've been in the South Pacific. So I came here, you know, because I, I thought this only, you know, college in the, in the country, in the world that would train, because I was so naive to this. You know, I didn't understand Christianity. I didn't understand all the language and all that. I just had no background at all. So when we got here, my wife and I looked at her and said, hey, we're from Southern California. It's really cold here. We were the lead janitors at Hennepin Hospital. Is that nearby here? So we are the night cleaners. And so we, we went there after school, and uh, I told my wife, I said, they hired me to be the night cleaner, but I'm, uh, I'm going to run this organization in two weeks because I know how to clean. I just got out of the Navy. And so, uh, and so in two weeks, I showed up early, stayed late. All the rooms were impeccable. I started leading the team. They made me manager of the night cleaners at Hennepin Hospital. So that's pretty cool. And so anyway, along with being cold, one night we walked out of work after cleaning all night and uh, got in our Volkswagen bus, you know, Southern California people, and I put the key to the bus in my mouth. And it was 69 below zero, I remember that, with the wind chill. And my key stuck to my lips. I could not get it off. And I was trying to tell my wife, I can't get this out, you know. And so finally I ripped it off, and uh, you know the rest of the story. So my wife said, why don't we move back to California? And so, but I love North Central University. This campus is alive. It's one of the most alive campuses I've seen in the country. And I'm on universities a lot right now. And what's going on here is very unique. The power of the Holy Spirit is in this place and all I have to say is be open to the Holy Spirit, fasten your seatbelt, and absolutely go for whatever God's called you to do. Today I'm going to talk to you about compassion. Where does compassion come from? My wife and I just planted the Vienna, uh, church in Vienna, Austria. It was a two-year assignment, and there was explosive growth. It's called Vienna Christian Center. We went there because no one else would go there. The missions department told us. I said, why don't you send a missionary? Because no one would go there. I said, why not? Because they can't afford it. It has the highest, you know, you've got to raise more money than any missionary in our movement. You got, it's just, it's off the charts. I said, why are you picking me? I'm a pastor. I pastored a church of a few thousand people. They said, because we think you can do it. And I said, raise money? No, plant the church. So God gave us a record amount of income that came in to plant the church, and we were there within months. We planted that church. It was explosive growth. In Europe, it was running over 300 in, in, in like three months. And in six months, it was running over 500. We started another Russian church because all kinds of Russian refugees were coming out, and most of them were Pentecostals. They had nowhere to go. They were coming to our church, so I started a Russian church, and I appointed a pastor to preach at the Russian church. That church today, I'm preaching there again this summer, the founding pastors, and that church today runs over 3,000 people in Vienna, Austria. It's the, it's the largest charismatic international church in all of Europe. So we left there, and we came back, and my wife and I were watching the news on one Friday night, and we saw this situation in Romania. I don't think any of you would remember that, but my wife and I saw it, and it was overwhelming because we had a lot of Romanian people in our church in Austria. We saw these children that were in orphanages, hundreds of thousands of children that were in orphanages because they had a cruel dictator leading that country. 
and they're in orphanages, and many of them are suffering from HIV or AIDS because they use needles on, on person after person after person, child after child. We saw this, and I watched it, and I, the next morning, on fr- Saturday morning, I was driving to church to get ready for Sunday, and, and, I, and I started weeping over what I saw. I felt it. It became part of me, and I was crying so hard, I had to pull over to the side of the road because I couldn't see. I saw this, I felt it. And I said, Lord, help me do something. Help me do something. I got to the church and I was in my study. I was going over my Sunday message. The lead board member called me, said, Pastor, did you see that broadcast last night? I said, I sure did. He said, I want you, the board and I have talked, want you to do whatever you want to do to help those kids in Romania. And I said, thank you, sir. So that was my marching orders. On Sunday, I said, we're going to do something to help. It was misinterpreted. The Seattle Times called my office on Monday, said, we hear you're going to Romania. We want to write a full-page article on you, front page, on why you'd go to Romania, because this is this great need. And I said, okay, come a visit. So they, took a, they came down, took a picture of me in front of the cross at that church, and why are you going to Romania? I said, well, I guess I am. And I didn't know that. I know my way around. Okay, and I said, I guess I am. They said, well, we want to write an article on you, why you care so much to do something about this. So I talked about compassion. On Tuesday, I received a phone call from SAS Airlines, and the head of SAS Airlines in Seattle said, can you come to our office on the top floor of one of these buildings in Seattle? Forgot the name of it. So I went there, went to the counter. Are you Dr. Goodall? I said, well, I am. They said, we have a first-class ticket for you to fly to Romania. And I said, who gave me the ticket? We're not allowed to tell you, but it came from the top. So on Wednesday, Sears and Roebuck called me, this is amazing. They called me and they said, can we send one of our leaders with you with boxes, cases, and we're going to put them all on the airplane to go over with you to pass out to the kids in these orphanages in Romania because you're going to visit the orphanages, aren't you? I guess I am. <laughs> Thursday, a person called me, a Romanian citizen, say, I must go with you. Do you speak Romanian? I said, absolutely not. They said, we're going with you. We're going to interpret for you. And they... And so I said, come on along. You're going to pay your own expenses. So he, we're on board, and within two weeks, we were back in Romania after that broadcast. We landed there. They didn't have vehicles. At that time, we drove by dead bodies, streetlights out all over the place because of the revolt was going on. Actually drove by dead bodies on the side of the road, car were to get in the wreck, pull the body out, lay it on the side of the road. We went to these orphanages that were on the broadcast on that Friday night, and we went to the very orphanage where the, where the broadcaster was. We showed up at the door, and right before we got to the door, I said, by the way, it's almost Christmas time. Let's get a Christmas tree. There are no Christmas trees. I said, pull over to the side of the road. Bunch of pine trees. I ripped one up by the roots and took it to the orphanage. And I said, set it up in the foyer area. The doctor didn't know why we were there. They thought he's in trouble. I said, you're not in trouble. We came to help you. We saw this. We want to help you. And so we put all the Sears and Roebuck packages of dolls and toys around this tree. I said, do you have any extra sandwiches or meat? I said, here's a bunch of money. I gave him a bunch of money. Get all the food you can get because we're going to have a party tonight with all the orphans. I held orphans 
that were supposed that looked they were four or five years old that were on the that were as tiny as a one year old because of malnutrition. Many of them had AIDS or HIV, and the nurses are afraid to touch them. So two, three, four babies in one crib, urine soaked. It insulted every sense. I could smell it. I could hear the crying of the children and can hear it today. So before I left, we got six kids out. We started a medical clinic. We started a a place for a pharmacy. And we started another orphanage, Christian, with over 200 kids in it, with a French pediatrician and his wife, both of them pediatricians, to take care of the kids. And that's in Pitesh, Romania today. What I'm telling you that story is sometimes you see things and it hits you so hard in your very gut that you have to do something about it. So the Father and Jesus, it's mentioned 11 times in the New Testament that they had compassion. Jesus had compassion before he did a miracle. He felt compassion. He had compassion for the starving, the people that were hurt, wounded, and he healed them. He felt compassion and he did something. The Greek word for compassion, it means to be moved from your very gut. It's not just sympathy and it's not just pity. It it hits you in in your very gut. The, The Jewish community believed that the gut was the seat of emotions, for true love and true joy. It just, have you ever been hit? You felt it so deeply, it's inside of you. It's almost like you see the need and, and you're part of the need. You're part of the wounded and you, and, you, and you can't walk away from it. You can walk away from it, but God shares with us his compassion. By the way, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that we are in Christ over 100 times. That was my devotion this morning. So in Christ, and God is a God of compassion, Jesus felt compassion, so you're in Christ, so we feel compassion. Your humanitarian degree that's starting humanitarian leadership this, this fall, right now, is, that's what it's all about. You, you feel something, but you want to do something somewhere in the world to make a difference, to change something, to fix something, to heal something, because you feel it, but you're trained to do that through North Central University. Isn't that incredible? When I ask students, what do you want to do in five years? They say, we just want to make a difference. Give us a big enough hill to die on. We want to make a change. We, we want to fix this. We want to help people. So this Greek word compassion moved from your very being. Matthew 9, 26 said he had compassion on them because they're helpless. They were harassed. Have you ever seen a helpless, harassed person? I'm sure you have. And maybe some of you have been there. I was there before I came, became a Christian. I felt helpless. Even though I was the life of the party and I was helpless. I didn't care if I lived another day. I had a death wish. I wasn't going to commit suicide, but I was hoping someone would take me out in a fight or something like that. Crazy thinking. I was helpless, and I felt harassed by the enemy. I lived in torment. I couldn't sleep for almost two years because I was tormented every night. The crazy living. And the Bible tells us, 
Finally, of all, living, it tells us to live as, as compassionate and humble people. Luke 19 tells us that Jesus wept over the city. The word wept means not just weeping and crying. It means to mourn, to lament, to show grief. You see the need and you grieve over the need. See, this word compassion in the Bible is different than what you might see in Webster's Dictionary or what you might see described at the University of Minnesota in their humanitarian care degrees. It's different. You actually not just feel sorry or pity, but you are in it. You see the pain and you feel it so deeply that you have to do something. This has happened many times in my Christian life. And I think because I came from that kind of a situation where I was without hope. I mean, I'd be a dead man if it wasn't for that missionary from North Central University. So the Bible tells us, Psalm 116, that our God is full of compassion. Compassion was an incredible characteristic of everything Jesus did. He saw and he felt and he did something about it. So the Latin roots for this is, is uh, we suffer with. Can you say suffer with? So when we see people in pain, students or friends around campus, and when we walk off campus, when we go to work, our neighborhoods, our community, whatever degree you're thinking about getting, you suffer with people in need. God so loved the world. So it's the world. I don't care what kind of religion a person is, what culture they're from. You see need. You feel God's compassion because you are in Christ over a hundred times it's mentioned. And you have to do something or walk away. Suffering with. It means, compassion means someone's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Someone's heartache becomes your heartache. And when we look at people, are you with me this morning? I sure love you. I'd take a bullet for all of you, you know, in the shoulder kind of thing. <laughs> so, I mean, we suffer with people, and that's what it's all about. That's, what, that's why Convoy of Hope exists. It started in the back of a pickup truck. Hal Donaldson grew up in poverty. His, his father was a pastor when he was like, 10 years old, and he had, a, he had a younger, two younger brothers and a sister. His father was killed by a drunken driver, pastor of a little church in Northern California. So when Hal grew up, he lived in this double-wide mobile home, not double-wide, single-wide mobile home with another family. That's who raised him and let his wife and his mother and the four children live with him. He remembered poverty. He remembered not having enough food. He remembered not being able to get food. And so when he, was, when he got out of high school, he, he rented a pickup truck. And he put it full of free food from grocery stores. And he went to the poor communities and he started passing out food. And it all started there. And today, you know, we're all over the world because of this word called compassion. He felt because he had experienced it himself. And that's what drives Convoy of Hope today. In the Feed One program, that's what drives it. So let me go back. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or admit to do and more of the light of what they suffer. 
So my wife and I have pastored and seen pretty amazing growth in the churches we've pastored. But our DNA on how we do that is we find the greatest need in the city and we heal it. We find the greatest broken heart and we fix it. We're drawn to need. We're need-driven. Why I do what I do is I'm need-driven. I see a need, I'm going to jump in with everything I've got. And it's not easy. But Jesus was need-driven. And so you've got to remember that that's where Bonhoeffer says, more in the light of what they suffer. That's what draws us, how we develop what we do and who we are as people in Christ. So four things, takeaways, that I want us to learn today from this word compassion in us at North Central University. Your president told me a few months ago, I want to be known, our university, as a university of compassion. Whatever occupation our students get involved in, they're involved in compassion. We're known as a university. That's where compassion happens. That's where it goes on. They're helping our city. They're helping our community. God planted you here for a really good reason. It's all on purpose. It's not an accident. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. You're here by God's design. Your president said, I don't want to be known, our students known, as a university of compassion. Takeaways before our time's up. One, say God is a compassionate God. Come on, say it. No doubt about it. The, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 116, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. This word is mentioned dozens and dozens of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So our God is a compassionate God. Some of us think God might be mean. I've thought that before because I grew up in a very abusive, rage kind of a family. And I thought the Father was mad at me for 10 years after I became saved because my Father was always mad at me. I, I could never do anything right. Never heard the words, I love you or I'm proud of you. And so when I came to Christ, I tell you what, I, 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 I thought Jesus likes me, but the Father doesn't. He just has to like me because Jesus likes me. That's how messed up my theology was. Say, that's messed up. Come and say, that's messed up. Our God is a compassionate God. His name is compassion. The kind of compassion I just mentioned. He is part of your sorrow, part of your pain, part of your hurt, part of your wound. The Bible tells us, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Remember that? So what it means, the, the early church used to call that, the, the Holy Spirit's a hound from heaven. He's going to hunt you down to show you mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's on your trail, every corner you turn. I don't care what you've done, what you said, who you think you are. Mercy is hunting you down because that's God. And he's compassion. And he's gracious and he's kind. And number two, we have a compassionate Savior. We have to say we have a compassionate Savior. When Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He had compassion on them, Matthew tells us, and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight. Notice Jesus felt that he did. 
He saw, he felt, and he did. When you see something and God reveals to you and you feel this compassion, you see it with the eyes of Christ. And you feel it in your very gut. And then you do. My wife and I have seen a lot of miracles in our life. But it all comes out of compassion. The poor. I remember preaching in one church not that long ago in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, we were there and this guy stood up. One of our AG churches there. Stood up started running across the back of the room. I love that church. I love everywhere I go. I love you. I feel compassion for you. And I felt it for that church that morning. He's running around back of the room and I thought, what's he doing, you know? Maybe this is what they do in Albuquerque. Then he ran up and down the side. Then he started running around the whole room, and then basically the message is over. It's very distracting. You understand that? So they don't teach you that in preaching one. (laughs) So we finally sat down. Then you could continue the message. And I said to the pastor at the end of the service, I said, what was with that dude running around the church during the message? He said, you know, wait, I don't know. But he hasn't walked in 20 years. I'm telling you, when you could show compassion, God helps you. It might be supernaturally, it might be something you do, a program you run, but God helps you. So we have a compassionate Savior. And number three, say this, we are to be compassionate people. So... We do things. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Uh, 1 Peter 3, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. So we are compassionate people. We do what Jesus did. God the Father is full of compassion. And number four, quickly, notice, I've mentioned it already, that the compassion of Jesus preceded the act of healing, feeding the thousands and casting out demons. Compassion precedes the miracle. When you see, you feel. And then when you act, the miracle happens, the new organization the new way to help people, the new God supplies you, like that crazy story in Romania. I mean, you can't even invent that kind of a story. The Holy Spirit put it together. I was just naive and innocent, said, okay, I'm going to the next step. And so miracles happen. So compassion of Jesus precedes the act of feeding of the thousands, casting out demons. School so compassion precedes the miracle. Jesus saw and he felt compassion. And when we see. We feel, don't we? Now, we can shut off our senses. But keep a tender heart, North Central University. You are life changers. You are world changers. In this room, we can change the world. Do you believe that? I believe that. I would die on that hill. I believe in you. You're the greatest generation that I've ever seen. 
You've got more potential. You've got all the social networking abilities. You've got creative ideas. You're risk takers. You go for it. You are a wonderful generation that God has raised up for such a time as this. And you can show acts of compassion and change your world that you live in in amazing ways. And so when we see, we feel, and when we feel, we do. We do acts of compassion. Their needs, their needs become our action. Amen? Now, I'm running out of time here. I don't know if there's a keyboardist or something, because I want to pray with you. Would you all stand with me? I'm sorry I'm a little outspoken on this topic. You know, I I'm usually have a really good sense of humor. My wife tells me to tell jokes. <laughs> She has the gift of jokes. I have the gift of melancholy. You know, it's kind of <laughs> so she's the life of the party. You know, she, I'm a morning person. She's a night person. And she is extrovert. I'm introvert. And um, are you with me today? What do we do with compassion? Shout it out. What do we do with compassion? Keep going. What do we do? What do you do with Compassion. How do, you see, how do you see people in need? How do you see it? Walk slowly. Listen carefully. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Amen? Father, we're so grateful for this time in this chapel. I thank you for these incredible people. Lord, I pray you would anoint them in powerful ways like no other generation. These people in this room. Use them, O oh God. Use them, O oh God, to change this world that's full of pain and hurt, abuse. Use them, Lord, as healers, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.